Hi. How are you guys doing? Is the you can answer me. How are you doing? Okay? Yeah, glad you're here so far, having a good time. I, this is the first time I've felt what Ben has often said about it's hard to know how to follow that. <laughs> um, but we're thankful for these guys. Can we give them a hand for just working hard and making that happen? Um, in addition to the help that they've been giving us to kind of walk through our Old Testament story, we also have some incredible artists among us who have also been interpreting and helping us um, understand the story better. So I just want to point out the artwork that's on the wall. We've had people do something after each story, and I would encourage you before you leave tonight to go take a look, because there's some incredible stuff up here. Also, if you're interested, um, we don't have anyone to create a piece of art from tonight's teaching. So if you're interested in that, come talk to me or Ben afterwards. We would love to get you hooked up with a piece of poster board and help you do something incredible for that. Tonight, we're going to talk about the power of God to do some incredible, unbelievable, amazing things. Things that miraculous and sometimes don't make sense. And I just want to share with you to get started something miraculous that happened in our family today. Um, literally about an hour and a half ago, um, Corey attacked Ben's brother Hunter with his knife while you're here. Yeah, okay. That's cool. I'll just wait. I feel like I'm... Okay. That feels better. Um, anyway, as I was saying, Ben's brother Corey and his wife Sarah live in Florida, and we miss them very much. They have a little two-year-old girl named Addie who is Jaden's best friend. They're just really, really good buddies. And this afternoon, just an hour and a half ago or so, um, Sarah had a baby. And so we welcomed Levi William to the family today, another total miracle. So Ben and I are kind of riding high on that and excited about that tonight. And um, it's fun to sing and worship when you've seen something miraculous. So new baby in the Post family, which is a good thing. So yay, God. Yeah. And Uncle Ben, you can, can congratulate Uncle Ben um, tonight. Um, can we pray? That'd be all right. Let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for this place. Thank you for the warmth in this room um, on a cold night. God, thank you for the songs and the stories that bring us together and for the friendships in this room. God, we are so grateful for your presence here. We're grateful for each other. And we're grateful for the things that you want to teach us tonight. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at a very fun story, and before we get to the story, it's my job to fill you in on a couple quick things that you need to know so that you can fully understand the story. Does that sound okay? And then Ben's going to have the really fun job of walking you through the story. So I'm going to walk you through just a couple things, and then we'll get to the story. So can you hang with me for just 10 minutes or so and collect the data, because I promise it will help um, in a minute. So what I'd like to do is start by using a map, right? Um, I want to give us a geographic run-through or recap of where we've been so far, just so we can kind of catch up with the story, okay? So the very first week in our journey through the Old Testament, we talked about Abraham, or Abram was his name at the time, and how he came all the way from Ur, way over here in Mesopotamia, hundreds of miles into the land of Canaan, which we call the land between. Literally, God sent Abraham to live in what was known as the middle of the middle of the middle of the ancient world. And that's why we call it the land between. 
Once Abraham was obedient and came into the land, the next thing that happened was, through a series of events, his family, extended family, ended up moving down into Egypt. They originally went there to escape a famine, but while they were there, over time, they ended up falling into slavery in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They cried out to God for help. God heard their cry, and he rose up a leader for them whose name was Moses, right? Um, Moses was the guy that went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. I want to take them into the desert so they can worship. Moses led the people out of Egypt. God miraculously parted the Red Sea so that they could cross and come right down to Mount Sinai. And Ben walked us through the story at Mount Sinai where God gave the Torah. He gave the Ten Commandments. He gave Moses instructions for how the people were to live. And God met with his people at Mount Sinai. This began their wandering in the wilderness. They left Mount Sinai and came from Mount Sinai up north to the place called Kadesh Barnea. From here, Moses sent spies into the land to check out the land. Some of the spies thought it was a good idea to go into the land, and some of the spies thought it was a bad idea. The people sided with the people that thought it was a bad idea. And that really displeased God because he was sending them in. So as a result of that, God said, this whole entire generation is going to die out in the desert, and you're going to spend 40 years now living and wandering in the desert. So they did that. And this sort of shows you the parts of the desert that they spent time in for the next 40 years. And they eventually, as God led them, traveled down all the way around this part of the land. You see the kingdom of Edom right here. They tried to pass through Edom, and Edom said, no way, you're not walking through our land. So they had to go around. And eventually, they came up the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and I think I have one more, and they conquered some land and some people groups right up here. But eventually, God was getting ready to send them into the land of Canaan, which you can see is right here. This is what we call the land between. This is what we call the promised land, if you've heard that, that phrase. So God is now leading the people to the place where they're getting ready to go into the land. And a couple things happen. As our newscaster shared with us, um, Moses is about to die because he's been told, like we heard last week, that he could not go in because he was disobedient. Moses raises up a new leader. I'll talk about that in just a second. And eventually, the Jordan River has to be crossed, and God miraculously splits the water of the Jordan River. They walk through on dry ground, and now they're hanging out on this side of the Jordan River, right around here, waiting to go and conquer the first city in the land of Canaan, the city of Jericho. Okay, so that's a really fast geographic flyby of where we've been. Everybody with me so far? Okay, you guys are doing awesome. Um, I want to talk about, I'll leave it right there a second. I want to talk about, just for a second, the change in leadership. Moses dies. He's been leading the people for years and years and years. And now we turn to a new leader, and his name is Joshua. Joshua, actually, if you follow the story closely, and some of you guys have been reading long, which is really awesome, um, Joshua is along for the ride the whole time. He's sort of Moses' second-in-command. He's there when they come out of Egypt. He's there when they go to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up the mountain. When they build the tabernacle, which is the place where the Ark of the Covenant stood, Joshua's job was to stand guard at the door. Um, there were lots of instances where we see Joshua stepping up and learning how to be a leader. So at this point, when Moses is about to die, 
He says, Joshua, you're the man. You are going to lead the people now. And here's what happens. Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then Moses dies and Joshua is in the lead. So this is how we get to the story of Joshua. All right, still with me? Okay, a couple more quick things, and then we're going to move to the story. I want to talk for a second about why Jericho was the first city that God had on the agenda as they were coming into the land. Why was this the first city to conquer? So it's really interesting. As you look here, I know this is kind of confusing, but these are all these red markings are roads. These black ones are very major roads, international roads, but the red roads are the kind of inner workings of roads inside the land. And if you look at Jericho, as it sits right here, it goes up into the heart of the land. It, it kind of controls the major route coming from the east. So if you control Jericho, you control all the traffic from the east coming up into the land, into this whole hill country, which includes Jerusalem. You also control all of the traffic north and south. This is a very fertile land up here, and the Dead Sea down here has all kinds of minerals and goodness in it. And so if you can control all of these routes, that's really good. Also, if Jericho is taken by Joshua and the Israelites as they're coming across and into the land, they have now closed the back door. As they're coming into the land, now no one can conquer them from the east because they have already, they have already taken control of the main door that goes into the land. Does that kind of make sense? Um, the other thing, and this is really fascinating, this is the Judean wilderness. This is the area where the city of Jericho is. This is what it looks like. But check this out. This is what Jericho looks like. It's an oasis in the desert. They actually call it the City of Palms because it has all kinds of natural springs, seven of them. For example, one of those natural springs pumps up to 1,200 gallons of water a day in the desert. Okay, so Jericho is incredibly valuable as an oasis and the place to be when you're in the desert and you want to be here. This is where people want to live, want to grow agriculture, um, all kinds of things make Jericho very, very strategic and very, very valuable um, as a city. It was a big fortified city. And if you, well, let me just read to you from Joshua chapter 2. As the people are getting ready to come in, Moses actually, I'm sorry, Joshua actually sends two spies into the land. And they encounter a woman named Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. And listen to what she says. She says to them first, we have heard what your God did who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you across the Red Sea, who went with you through the desert, who brought you around into this land, conquered kingdoms on the east side of the Jordan River, and now has parted the waters of the Jordan River for you. We've heard all of these things. But here's what she says in verse 11 of chapter 2. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of it. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The people in Jericho, this mighty fortress city, have the city locked up. They are shut in because they are scared of what God could do. 
All right, I need to teach you a Hebrew word. Are you ready? Everyone say this after me. You get to practice your So everybody do that. Okay, the word is cherem. Cherem. Okay, very good. If you need an English spelling, that's the best attempt to it. Cherem. The phrase in your Bible throughout the Old Testament is devoted thing. Okay, and to teach you about a devoted thing, I need four volunteers. Do I have four? All you have to do is hold a sign. There's one, two, who else? Two more, three, and one more. Someone over there? One more person. Yeah, come on up, Chris. All right, perfect. You're going to stand right here. Okay. Come on over. Just stand in a line right here. Can you move over a little bit? Why don't you guys go up on one step? Okay. So everyone say, say harem with me again. Okay, here's what you need to know about harem as a devoted thing. It can be used as a verb, which is, says an exclusion of an object from the use or abuse of man and its irrevocable surrender to God. That's the verb. The noun is a ban for utter destruction. It's something that they're, they're instructed by God to get rid of, completely destroyed. It's harem. Okay, so it can be a devoted thing or you can devote a thing for destruction. That's kind of confusing, so this is why we're going to do this to explain. Okay, so we have God as our first sign here, and we have God's work and purpose. Okay, God has a plan for his people, specifically for the people of Israel, and the redemption that he wants to bring to the world through them. Okay, that's what's going on in the story of the Old Testament. We have God's and God and God's work or purpose, but then we have harem, the devoted thing. To help you understand what that is, I'm going to have you guys trade places. Now, we have harem in between God and his purpose. There's a problem. The harem is whatever is in the way of what God wants to do. Okay? In my life, in your life, in the world, in this case, um, with the people of Israel and his plan to bring them into the land. And here's the other problem that God warns them about. If you don't get rid of the harem, if you don't actually harem the harem, right? Destroy it. Get rid of it. It's, it's banned for utter destruction. If you don't get rid of it, here's what will happen. Now I need you guys to trade places. And you're going to stand real close to him. And you guys are going to go real far. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, not only is the harem in the way, but Israel, the people, or you and I, who don't get rid of it, now become like it. This is what God warns over and over in the Old Testament. If you don't remove the devoted thing, then you become like it. And guess what? Now you're in my way too. You have become harem. Does this make sense? One more illustration. I need Chris and Julia to make their way down here quickly. Come on up. For all intents and purposes, no, 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 you can't do that. Oh, you want to? Okay, sure. Here we go. You know, he's, he's my boss, so it's cool. All right. Um, you like that? Julia is God. Chris, even though he's my boss, is harem. Okay? So 
you're going to stand in the way, right? And Julia's going to try to shoot the ball. So let's see how it goes. Yeah. All right. That's all we need. Give him a hand. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, so does that help you understand Kherom? It's in the way. Julia is God. Her purpose is trying to get the ball in the net, but Chris, Kherom, gets in the way and makes that not possible. So what does God say about the things that are Kherom? He says, destroy them. Remove them. So I'm going to ask you to go away. And you guys come together, nice and cozy. Look at that. Right now, God and the people are working together to do God's purpose. With me? All right, give these guys a hand. Thank you. Okay, here's the last note, which has everything to do with harem. As you guys are reading through, particularly the book of Joshua, but I would even say the Old Testament story in general, there is a lot of death and destruction and God ordering his people to go into the land of Canaan to remove the people that are living there. In fact, the Canaanites, the people of the land, are called harem. Okay, and you're going to see that in our story tonight. And I don't know about you, but for me, this was a difficult thing to wrestle with. Because why is God asking his people to go in and destroy another group of people so that he can put them in their land? That really bothered me, and I had to really wrestle with this. So this is what I've learned, and I want to submit to you as as sort of an answer to this, although I encourage you to keep wrestling. Okay? Two things. Number one, God takes very seriously the idea of removing things that are in the way of his purpose. He takes that very seriously. Number two, God takes very seriously removing those things so that they don't harm his people and so that they don't stop him from the plan to save and redeem and cleanse and restore his people and the world. Because of that, the Canaanites who were living in the land are called harem. Let me show you why. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And this is what God says. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there, meaning the Canaanites that are living in the land. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or consults the dead, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices to the Lord, sorry, because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out the nations before you. I have a whole list of texts that I could show you. I don't have time tonight. I can definitely give it to you if you want to know more. Where God explains that the people who were living in the land before he brought Israel in were doing horrible, destructive, awful things that that dishonored him, but also even defiled the land. This was not just a group of innocent people living in the land that God wiped them out so he could bring his people in to live there. He was removing something that was utterly 
detestable to him and to mankind. Think of a child or a baby that you know right now. Just think of that baby or a small child. And then imagine if you were asked to offer that child to a fire to worship your God. Like, I would take my son Jaden to honor God. I would throw him in the fire. That's what was going on with the Canaanites. And God said, enough. I will not let this continue. This is not okay. I'm going to remove this horrible thing from the land, and I'm going to bring my people in, and I'm going to live out my story in the middle of the world and try to redeem what's happening in this place and redeem the people of the world and bring them back to me. So that's a whole bunch of background. I hope that makes some sense to you. And now we're going to turn the page. We're going to look at the story of Jericho, and my friend Ben is going to come help us do that. So Ben Post, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Post. It has been a long journey for the Israelites as they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And their time or their day has finally arrived for them to enter into the land of Canaan or the promised land or the land between. So we are going to read the story of Joshua and Jericho tonight. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to help deliver a Bible to you if you'd like to follow along. Joshua chapter 6. And if we could get some friends in the back, help deliver a few Bibles, that would be splendid. Joshua chapter 6. We'll wait a minute for those that are wanting to find that and still waiting for a couple of Bibles. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. Okay, so we are going to hear God's game plan for Joshua and the Israelites as they tackled Jericho. All right, so Joshua chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out, and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight in before him. Okay, so this is, this is God's game plan for this, this is God's military strategy for conquering the city of Jericho. Now, to help us tell this story well, I'm going to need some volunteers tonight, okay? So I need a lot of you. So 15 or 20 people, come on up, all right? I'm not kidding, come on up, 15 or 20 people. I need some help. Just keep coming until there's 15 or 20 of you, all right? 
We're going to have a good time up here. Hey, will you help me move this thing out of here? We're going to go down over here. All right, that'll go there. Okay, you, man, I got some good volunteers up here. I love it. All right, so let's see. How many we got? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. That'll work. Perfect. Okay, so we have we have some armed men. All right, so the first three of you here can be the armed men. All right, you guys are sharing that that thing there. All right, and then we have the last few of you over here that are like the rear guard. Okay, so you guys are defending in the back. Uh, anybody here up up here play a brass instrument? Trumpet or any, any, anybody up here? You do? All right. You're not, you're not going to be an armed man anymore. You're going to be, you got a special job. You're going to try to play this thing for us tonight. All right. And you're going to join the armed, armed forces up here. All right. And then we have seven priests with the seven ram's horns. All right. There we go. And we have a couple of people that are carrying the ark. Okay? All right. There we go. Um, I need your help. Come here. Okay. All right, so we have our armed men that are in the front, and we have seven priests carrying their seven ram's horns, right? How do they sound? (laughs) Blow that thing. There you go. There you go. That'll work. All right, and then we got a couple more priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and then we have the rear guard over here, okay? So let's keep reading our story. Uh... Joshua chapter 6, verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns um, before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Okay? Um, I lost my place here. With the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them, the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets. And the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. Okay, so here we go. We're going to circle around the city, starting with you guys and the the armed men. Circle around the city one time. This is the city of Jericho behind you here. Look at those mighty walls. All right, the whole, all you guys got to circle around at one time. With the trumpets blowing continually. (laughs) All right. Okay, just one time. Just one time. Okay. And then they came into camp and they spent the night. Okay. So you guys are all in the camp. Okay. So they came into the camp and spent the night. So just pretend you're sitting down in the camp. Okay. 
Verse 12, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. Okay, so you guys, you guys got up first, okay? So you guys got up, and you guys circle around the city again, okay? The seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. The armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once, and they returned into camp. So they did for six days. Now let's just, let's just pause here a second, okay? So Jericho is this huge fortified city. I mean, it had these massive walls for reasons that Stacy has stated. And now God's game plan to Joshua and the Israelites is this. I mean, really? Let's just, let's just wake up early in the morning and let's have a bunch of people just circle around the city and we'll just blow some trumpets for a while. Just do that one time every day for six days. What do you think is going on in these people's minds? Okay, you get to day three. <laughs> and this is what we're doing still? <laughs> like, like this strategy, this, this military strategy, God's game plan seems ridiculous. I just, I just wonder what these people had to be thinking. I mean, we know this story. Many of us know this story. It's a, it's a familiar story. It's a, it's a Bible classic. But stop for a minute and, and hear the sound of these trumpets and think, really, these walls are going to come just come, come crashing down. Okay, let's just keep doing this. And, and what's happening inside Jericho? I don't know this for sure. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But are the people of Jericho, I mean, they, they say they're afraid of the Israelites, but are they like hanging out on the wall trying to pick people off along the way? I don't know, maybe. I mean, if I'm Jericho, that's probably what I would be doing. They're not doing anything at us. They're not attacking us. They're just walking around blowing their trumpets at us. Well, let's try to pick off as many as we can. And the Bible doesn't tell us that's what's going on. But I got to think that these people got to be a, a little scared about this game plan. Don't you think? On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day. And they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Quickly. <laughs> and they marched around the city seven times. Okay, and this is the seventh time. <laughs> this is not quickly at all, so I don't know what's happening, but okay. 
Okay, so I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep reading, okay? Um, just, just pause this for a minute until I tell you to keep going, okay? Uh, it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the people has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Do you hear the word harem in here? But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasure of the Lord. So, the people shouted. You had one roll. Come on. Let's try that again. So the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted. A great shout, and the wall fell down flat. Push the wall down. <laughs> and the wall fell down flat. And the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. And then verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. This is the word of the Lord. And let's thank our volunteers as well. You guys can have a seat, watch your step, and be careful or something there, all right? Uh, yeah, the kazoozigans are on the table or something. Or you can keep them. I don't really care. I don't want them. Okay. Now, we've, we've read the story, and we have experienced the story together here in the Cook to Wit. I want to offer a, a few things to think about in light of this lovely mess. God, let's talk about God's military strategy. Last week, we talked about God telling Moses to speak to a rock so that water could come out of it. And he does this so that it's obvious who is in charge. And he does this so that it's obvious who is going to be the one who gets the glory. I sort of feel like this story is like that. Hey, Joshua, here's the game plan for this one. Are you ready? 
You and a bunch of your people are going to just march around the city and blow trumpets. And then when I tell you, the whole people can shout and the whole thing will fall down. This is not a, this, there's no way. I mean, I love what Rahab said. We are trembling at the stories we have heard of your God. This is no like Joshua and the Israelites were just stronger and better than the other army. This is not just a, it's obvious who is in charge. And it's obvious how big and how strong and how mighty God is. And so that's why he gives Joshua this, this maybe ridiculous or seemingly ridiculous or outrageous strategy to conquer this huge, important, fortified city. The Israelites went in. The Canaanites and all the other people in the land heard and saw this mighty act of God. And this was an opportunity for the Israelites to move, begin to move into the land between, to begin to step into their purpose to be a light to the surrounding nations. As they take over this land between, God has called them to be in the middle of the middle of the middle of the ancient world so that they can let the glory of the Lord be known to the nations around them. This is why God says, go into Jericho. Harem. Let's talk about harem for a minute. Things that might be in the way of what God's purpose is for his people. In this story, it was the Canaanites. The Canaanites were a people group who were in the way, they needed to be removed or they needed to be destroyed because they were doing detestable things, sacrificing their children to the God of Molech in a fiery furnace. So God says, let's, let's talk about Haram for a minute. Haram. What might be for you? What is your Haram? What might be the things that distract you or get in the way from what God has for your life. Here's God, here's you, here's his purpose, but sometimes there's these things that get in the way, right? Maybe it's an unhealthy dating relationship. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's being too attached to technology. Maybe it's, what is it for you? What might it be for you? What are the things that might be distracting you from God's ultimate purpose or plan for your life? And what are you or what, what can we do to help you remove it so that you can fully live into God's plan and God's purpose for your life? Cherem. What is your cherem? And let's try to figure out how we can remove it. Thought number two. Number, number one was cherem. Thought number two. God's outrageous game plan or God's outrageous strategy. 
I mean, there's a part of me that kind of wishes it was a different story. I kind of want Joshua to be this, like, military leader and, like, going for it. But God had a different plan. How outrageous was that? And what kind of trust did these people have? Every single step around the city was an incredible step of faith, trusting God, trusting God's plan, and trusting that this is, okay, this is what we're doing. This is the plan. Day three, are they starting to whisper a little bit to each other? Are you sure we're supposed to be doing this right now still? Are you sure Joshua knows what he's talking about? He's the new leader. Maybe we wish we had Moses back. God had a plan. As we go out for spring break, think about what ridiculously outrageous strategies God might have for you or for the city that you're going to. As you go to Dallas or Philly or Las Vegas or Hollywood, what are, the, what are the big prayers that you could be praying? This kind of big prayers. Trusting and believing that God can do huge things in a city. And along with that, what outrageous thing or steps of outrageous trust might God be asking you to take? Today, tomorrow, this week, next week on spring break, whether you're going on a CM trip, what does that look like? Maybe there's these whispers that God does in your ears and you're supposed to have a conversation with this stranger. Or maybe it's something on the plane or in the van or at the gas station or something within somebody within your group. What are the things that... Can we, just, can we just go on spring break and have our eyes and our hearts open to ridiculous things that God might want to do? Even if we're like, that's never going to work. Can we just have ears to hear what God might be wanting to do in you, around you, or through you? Can we be people who take outrageous steps of faith, trusting that this might be what God has for you to do so that he alone can get the glory. Because there's no way that that would have been your strategy. Is this making sense? It's my final thing that I'll say. I love this. God's charge to Joshua when he became the leader in Joshua chapter 1 was actually the same one that Moses had given to Joshua. It says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Even though Jericho is enormous. Do not be discouraged. 
For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's in Joshua chapter 1. I love this. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. And if I am with you, then therefore, be strong and courageous. Be courageous. Be courageous. To conclude, I want to teach you a Hebrew phrase so you can take with you on spring break. But I need you to stand up. We can invite the band to come on up too. And you guys can move those boxes a minute if you need to, okay? Okay, so repeat this Hebrew phrase after me. Chazak. Chazak. Venit. Chazak. Be strong, be strong, and together we are strong. Do you guys like that? Be strong, be strong, and together we are strong. Let's try that again, all right? Repeat after me. Chazak, chazak, venit, chazak, 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 venit, chazak, chazak. Chazak, Venit, Chazak. Can we do that this spring break? Can we be strong? Can we be courageous? Can we go for it? Can we take steps of faith and trust as, out, as outrageous as they are, as ridiculous as they are, trusting that God has a plan for you so that he can get the glory for the people around you? Can we pray? All right, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be here tonight to open your word. I feel challenged by this tonight. I want to be a person who takes these kinds of steps of faith. I don't want to be the guy that's whispering in the corner saying, that doesn't make sense. I want you to show up, and I want you to show up in my life, and I want you to show up in the lives of your people here. As we go this week in our classroom, as we go hang out with people in the dorms, as we go to spring break, whether we're going on a campus ministry trip, or whether we're going home, or whether we're just going to work, I pray, God, that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear your voice. And most of all, God, I pray that you'll give us courage to follow you and to trust you. Not so that we can tell stories of look what we did. But we pray for these kind of stories so that it's obvious who was the person who really knocked down the walls. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.